I know it's um, Father's Day, and so we rightfully, I think it's a good thing for us to honour um, dads, both our own dads, the dads amongst us. Um, I also want to just take the opportunity, though, in the midst of that, to honour praying wives. Um, I have a, a wife who prays for me in my role as a dad, and um, I don't take that for granted. I want to honour those um, wives who pray daily for their husbands. Um, I had the benefit of my praying wife uh, this past week. Uh, for those who weren't aware, um, I, I work um, here. I have the privilege of working um, with this church, the equivalent of uh, a three-day-a-week job. Um, which means that I have a couple of other days in the week which I do other things as well, balancing, juggling balls in the air. Um, and this past week I travelled away as a part of a training exercise with New South Wales Fire and Rescue, who I work for, and um, we were at a training thing out in Western New South Wales. And before I left, Kath said to me, I'm going to pray for you this week, um, that you will, for two things. So I'm going to pray for you for the encouragement um, of maybe meeting another Christian who's at the training um, program with you. And I'm going to pray for an opportunity uh, for you to share a bit about your faith. Uh, for those who, um, in the workforce, uh, out there, wherever you work, you know that occasionally up comes a conversation where someone says, uh, so what other things do you do? Um, and I had that opportunity thrust upon me um, about five minutes after the training program started. As we went around the room, there were 12 other um, people in the training program. And they said, um, tell us a bit about your name, where you're from, and what other things you do. And I answered that question, and I got the normal, oh, oh. <laughs> and what, what do you do? And then move on, you know. Um, uh, in the first break that occurred, um, a couple of hours into the first day of the training program, uh, three men um, got their cup of tea and came and stood with me in the sun and in the space of a couple of minutes informed me that they, they were Christians um, and were happy to meet me. They felt quite nervous about going and, um, and we, we were able to encourage each other over the course of the week, which was great. Uh, the other thing that occurred was that every night our meals were provided down at the local pub and uh, I got to know all the guys doing the course and one guy in particular, um, after a few... You know when someone wants to tell you something or talk to you about something but they don't know how to do it? Um, that happened over a course of a few nights and on the last night, eventually, he sat quietly with me up at the far end of the table and he said, I really want to talk to you about what you mean by you are a Christian. And we had a great conversation. Uh, he's not a believer, to, to my knowledge, in, in any shape or form, and yet deeply intrigued by a life of faith. So I'm really grateful for my praying wife. Um, all of this is just to tell you one thing, um, which is, as he and I had this conversation about faith and life, he said a very interesting thing to me. He said, I don't actually have much of a problem with the fact that maybe God created the world. I said, tremendous, that's great. He said, I, I think it's 
plausible that there's a God out there who's powerful enough to take dirt and turn them into people and tell plants to grow. He said, I think that's a plausible thing. He said, let me tell you the problem that I have with Christianity. I thought, oh, here we go. (laughs) I've heard a lot of these ones before. Um, This was his problem. How can you possibly believe in the immaculate conception? That's a religious term. He went to a Catholic boys' school as a young young guy. Um, Basically, he was saying, how can you possibly believe that a virgin, someone who had never experienced intimacy with a man could conceive a child. How can you possibly believe that? I said, that's a good question. Let me answer your question with a question. How can you possibly believe that humans can be made out of dirt and not be okay with the fact that somehow a virgin could conceive? We didn't answer the question. I would love to be able to say that by dessert he'd prayed the sinner's prayer. (laughs) But I am going back for part two of our training program in two weeks' time and I'll spend another week with that guy. So maybe you could join with my wife in praying for me that that conversation would go further. What's his name? Can we pray for him? Oh, you know what? I can't tell you his name right now. At least not on the live stream. I'll have a conversation with you. Just pray for the guy that's going to come to know Jesus. (laughs) Pray with faith. Um, Look up Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. That's the verse that I want to draw your attention to this morning. While you're looking that up, I'm going to pray. Lord, we want to behold you this morning the Lamb of God who comes to take the sin of the world. There are so many behold verses that we could quote or think about or read and reflect on. But this morning, we want to we behold Jesus. We want to see you clearly. We want to be in awe of you. So help us to do that, we pray. Help us to think well, hear well, speak well, and receive what you will Tell us and show us this morning for your glory. Amen. Amen. Have you found Matthew chapter 1, verse 23? Great. I'm going to read it to you from the ESV. Very short verse. Starts with our key word, behold, which if you were here last week or if you've um, been following along online, maybe you know that it's very much not just about looking or seeing, which is the, biblic- uh, is the, the dictionary definition of the word behold. Um, it's actually about really stopping, pausing, absorbing and holding, taking a hold of whatever it is that we're being pointed to. And in this case, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, we have this verse. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right? Uh, Let's get some participation here. That's the English Standard Version. Has someone got a different translation? We don't have time for the Amplified. (laughs) 
We want to finish before 11.30. Um, Says about the same. Very good. Someone just read out in a really loud voice. Don't worry about coming up to microphone. Really loud voice. A different translation. Maybe that doesn't use the word behold. What is it? Look. Just that's all it says. Look. That's chapter one, verse twenty-three. Look. Read it out loud for us, please, Lauren. Great. Thank you very much. Look, right? And not just, oh, if you've got time, if you feel like it, just sort of flick your eyes that way. Not that type of look. All right? Look at this. Behold. All right? Stand in awe of. Be amazed. The, now, the rest of that sentence gives us the context, doesn't it? What should we be amazed about? Now, I'm just going to point out two things that really should, we should be beholding here, that we should be amazed by. And I'm going to do that in the form of two questions, but let me give them to you up front. The two things in this verse that really should make us stop and be astounded by what we're about to see is this. The first thing is, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. All right, that should amaze us. My friend that I'm sharing dinner with just this past week and in the weeks ahead, he's right. It really should leave us with a sense of awe. How can this happen? Behold, right? What, what's going on here? A virgin conceives. Something miraculous is occurring and we shouldn't just sort of go, oh yeah, that's, we know that. We've seen it on the Christmas cards. Um, that's, oh yeah, we sing about that at Christmas time. That's about the only time that this verse generally shows up, right? Christmas time. Emmanuel. Now, this is everyday stuff that we should be beholding and just going, this is astounding. God is doing something amazing in this world. God's about to do something incredible that will shift and transport human history like we've never understood it before. The virgin shall conceive. That's the first thing that we should be amazed by, that we should be beholding. The second thing is the name. The name that this son will bear. His name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is something to behold. And we're going to talk about that this morning. So let's do the first thing. Uh, my friend's query and question about this astounding um, event in human history that a virgin conceives, the miracle, as he called it, of immaculate conception. So here's the question that I want you to consider and that we'll try and answer in two different ways. Um, why is it such a big deal that Mary would be a virgin when she conceived Jesus? Why is that such a big deal? Why does it matter? All right. Now, it's a big question, but we're going to just simply try to come at it from two different angles here. So here's the way I would answer that question the first way. Um, why is it such a big deal that Mary was a virgin when she conceived Jesus? 
First answer, that Jesus needed to be something different to all the other Adams that this world had, had experienced. Now, what do I mean by that? When Adam was created in the garden, which apparently was not a big deal for my friend, that God could do that. He, he could accept that reality. God took dirt, remember, in the garden when he created it? Done all the trees and animals and stars and beautiful flowers. Where the water should stop, how rivers would flow. He'd shaped mountains. He'd done all of that. And then the crowning moment of all of creation, God sat down and played in the dirt. That's why it's, I think it's a good thing to let kids play in the dirt. There's something divine about it. God sat down and played in the dirt and he, he gathered some mud and dust and he, he shaped it into something. And out of that, he made, he, he created an Adam. Adam is the, the Hebrew word for man. Uh, he created mankind, a person. And he breathed his breath into that dirt and it took on the mark of its creator, life. It was good. In fact, it was so good that unlike anything else that God had made, when he got to the end of that day of creation, day six, he stood back and he thought, you know, all the other days that I made stuff, that was good. Day six, he looked at that and he went, that's very good. That's, God was so impressed with himself. <laughs> he said, that's very good. That's very good. And ever since then, there have been more and more Adams. And wouldn't it be great if the story said they were all very good, just like their prototype? Just like the very first one that every other Adam has been fashioned after, that we were all, in God's sight, very good. Very good. But unfortunately, that's not how the story goes, right? Adam and his wife, who was created from his side to be with him and beside him, Adam and Eve, stood in the presence of their God, right, just, no relationship breakdown, until they were deceived and doubted God's goodness towards them and thought that there would be a better way. And they rebelled against God and decided to take on their own autonomy, their own, we, we will be in charge of how we live. We will say what's right and wrong. We will say what's good and bad. And that is called sin. A rebellion against God's authority and love. I will, I will rise to the throne and be my own God. All right? That broke something. A, a curse occurred that comes with sin. It's inherent to every Adam ever since. It's passed on from one generation to the other. Born in brokenness. We should behold that the virgin shall conceive. The virgin shall conceive because it somehow broke a cycle 
of sin's curse, that we needed a better Adam, a different Adam. We needed a second Adam to rescue us as humanity and restore what was broken way back in the garden. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Keep your finger, if your Bible has a bookmark or you've got a piece of paper or something, leave it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. That's going to be our main text, remember? But I'd really like you to come and have a look at Romans chapter 5. Romans is a really heavy book. It takes a lot of chewing over, all right? But I want to just point out a couple of little gems and I think, I think it's going to be really good for us to just pause on for a moment. Romans chapter 5, we're going to read verse 12 and then we're going to skip down a little bit, some heavy stuff that we might get distracted by, but read verse 12 with me. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, and death through sin. Have you got that relationship? Sin came into the world through one man. And when sin came into the world, death came in. They're they're partners in crime, right? Sin and death. They always go hand in hand. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Because all sinned. You see that relationship? Sin entered the world through one man, Adam... And then subsequent generations that followed him, that stain, that mark, that death stayed and spread with those same generations. Skip down to verse 17 of the same chapter. Just remember verse 12. Sin enters the world through one man and with sin death and then death spread to all men. Verse 17. For if by one man's trespass, again, he's still talking about the same thing. He's still talking about Adam. Trespass is another word for sin, the action that brought sin in. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace... And the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners... So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Let me try and summarize all of that. We know that sin entered the world and sin stained all generations. That's what verse 12 told us. Verse 17 down to verse 20 says, hey, listen, Have a look at the difference between these two Adams. And Paul lifts up the first Adam. He says, listen, when Adam sinned, 
All right? When he trespassed, condemnation came to all men. But then Paul says, but we've got another Adam, another prototype, a better Adam. And he points to Jesus. He lifted up the first Adam and said, listen what happened. One man sinned. Everybody is marked by that. And then he holds up Jesus and he says, but we've got another Adam, a better Adam. And by his righteousness, everybody can experience righteousness in him. Where sin increased, the first Adam, grace abounded all the more. The second Adam. The second Adam. We needed a second Adam. We needed an Adam that came into this world miraculously. Not the same way as all the other Adams, born because of a father's intent and a mother's will. But we needed an Adam that God could place into this world. A better Adam, a different Adam. So why is it such a big deal that Mary was a virgin when she conceived Jesus? Because we couldn't have another Adam just like all the other ones. It would never do. We needed a better Adam, a miraculous Adam, an Adam that had been placed there by God himself. That's the first way I'd like to answer that question. The second way that it's such a big deal is because the Old Testament is filled with such incredible prophecy foretelling about this miraculous one that would come from God. There are so many of them, we don't have time to look at them all, except one, and it's, I think, in your uh, chapter 1 in your Behold book, you'd see that as well, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That, just that verse has got two beholds in it, right? Behold, I send my messenger, he will prepare the way before me. That's just a example of an Old Testament prophecy pointing forward to a coming day when there will be a new Adam, a new one from God who will change the landscape of how we are to relate to who God is and who we are as mankind. So why is it a big deal that Jesus was born through the immaculate conception, through the virgin who would conceive well, firstly, we just needed a better Adam, not one born in the old-fashioned way, one who was, would break the cycle of sin, who would come untainted by the curse of the law, directly from heaven to be our rescuer, and that he would also be the one who would fulfill hundreds and hundreds of years of prophetic word that were pointing forward to say there is someone special coming. So that's our first question. And our first reason to behold, the virgin shall conceive. But I said that there was a second reason why we should behold this morning. And that's because of the name that this miraculous child would bear. Jesus. Or, as we're told in Matthew 1.23, and his name 
will be called Emmanuel, right? Which means what? God with us. God with us. So that leads me to my second question. Why is it such a big deal that God would be with us? Why is that such a big deal? Why, why is it that we're told in Matthew's Gospel, hey, watch this, catch this, don't miss this, behold, his name's going to be Emmanuel, right? And then they go to the, the trouble of putting, does your Bible have it in like a brackets, parenthesis, in there? All right? His name shall be Emmanuel. And we go, oh, that sounds like a beautiful Christmassy name. Um, and the writer, Matthew, goes, just, just in case you miss the significance of that, he spells out the meaning of the name, right? His name shall be Emmanuel. Don't miss this. Behold, that name means God with us. My question is, why is that such a big deal? Why are we meant to behold that? Why are we meant to just take such intense notice of that? Why should we pause on that and reflect on that? And this question I'm going to answer with three short answers, all right? Answer one. It's a really big deal that God is with us because our sin is a bigger deal than we usually think it is. The fact that God could be with us should be a a mind-blowing reality. Think about that. There's just three words in that sentence which make up the definition of of the name Emmanuel. God, and at the other end of the sentence is us. God, now that might bring all sorts of images and ideas to your mind about what means what does it mean by the word God, but God, at one end of that sentence, at the other end of the sentence, us. And again, that might invoke all sorts of ideas about what it means to be a person, to be humanity, a man or a woman. What does that mean? God, us. And there's one word that joins those two concepts. Now, If we were to just spend all our time in an Old Testament survey, an understanding of those two realities, God and us, we need to go back to the garden before we can find a time when God was with us. That's how far back in history we have to go to find a time when God was with us. I can't think of anything more profound than the opening scenes of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 where you have Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening taking strolls, enjoying the garden with God. What a profound idea. God taking evening walks with his creation. Can you imagine how sweet that would be? right? Enjoying everything that God had made as part of his own creation and him joining you. God turning up at your doorstep just as the sun was about to set and he says, let's go for a walk together. 
But that's how far back in human history you have to go to find a time when God and man could walk together in unbroken relationship. Now, we know what happens when Adam and Eve rebel. They take the the forbidden fruit. God turns up for his evening walk with his creation. Do you remember that? He turns up. Adam, you're home. No answer. Eve, you there? Quiet. Where are you, Adam? Where were they? Hiding. Hiding. Remember that? Hiding. They had discovered something about themselves. Their nakedness. Their nakedness, instead of bringing them a sense of joy and freedom and liberty before their creation, now filled them with a sense of shame. And they did the best they could to cover up their shame. They ripped leaves off trees and somehow stitched them together with vines to try and cover themselves over and then went and hid. And humankind has been doing that ever since trying to cover up our shame in any way possible and hiding from God. It doesn't work, of course. God knows that they're hiding. He can see through our efforts of covering ourselves. Why why are you hiding, Adam? We know that As that story progresses, Adam and Eve are ejected from their garden home, that the sin of, the curse of sin is taken on a generational effect, as we talked about earlier. Those two words, God and us, without some divine intervention, should never be joined together by the word with. God with us. It shouldn't happen. Our sin is a much bigger deal than we usually think it is. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh, and and the term flesh there is a a way of thinking about sin and and the effect of sin, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. That's what... Chapter 8, verse 7 of Romans says, In our natural state, covering ourselves with fig leaves and hiding, in our natural state, we are actually not just, I'm not thinking about God, or you know, maybe one day, you are in active warfare against God. You are hostile against God. The rest of that verse says, For it does not submit to God's law, indeed, it cannot. In our natural state, apart from God, in our broken, sinful state, we are in open hostility towards God and our our heart and our mind and our passions are not inclined towards Him. In fact, they can't be. Our sin is a really big deal. It's a much bigger deal than we think it is. We think of it as just being an inconvenience at times. We think of it as being sort of just a nuisance. It's not. It's more than that. 
It's a death sentence. It's a death sentence. So the idea that we could have an Emmanuel, a God who is with us, should make a stop and just go, what the heck is going on? How can God be with us? We are in open, hostile warfare against him. How can that happen? That's the first way I'm going to answer that question. Why is it such a big deal? Second way is this, and it's kind of related to the first. We underestimate our own sin. That's the first answer. The second thing is, God's holiness is a bigger deal than we usually think it is. We underestimate our own sin, and we also underestimate just how holy God is. We often think of God as just being a really good version of who we are. He's nothing like us. Nothing like us. He's, he's completely something utterly different and, and above us. He's holy, right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. Um, the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing a letter to some people and he's, he's asking them, Jewish people, to reflect on something from Jewish history. So I'm just going to read it and then do a really quick summary of what he's talking about. Hebrews chapter 12, starting from verse 18. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose word made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given, that even a beast that touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to the Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is what the writer is asking the Jewish people that he wrote to to remember. He's asking them to remember an occasion when they were brought out of Egypt as slaves and they were on their way to the promised land. And God led them via a mountain. And on that mountain, God showed up. God came down and stood at the top of that mountain and he asked Moses to come up. And at that point, he said to Moses, if you are going to live in some type of relationship with me, I'm going to give you a set of commands that will dictate that. We know them as the Ten Commandments. That's that occasion. Now, the writer of the Hebrews, he's asking the Jewish people to remember that, that event in history. And he says, do you remember what happened there? He said, you were all traveling as a, as a nation and you came and you camped at the base of the mountain and darkness descended on that mountain. There was fire. There was earthquakes. There was thunder. There was lightning. You guys were terrified. And the rule was, no one come near the mountain. Don't touch the mountain. Even if your goat wanders up onto the mountain, that, that goat's going to die. Why? Because God's there. His holiness is there. We can't, we can't approach the holiness of God when we are in a state of rebellion and sin. We, we can't go into it. It's inapproachable glory. It's inapproachable light. Moses was invited by God and says that he was trembling with fear. I would have been too. 
He just heard that even a goat's going to die if it touches it. We underestimate our own sin, but we also underestimate just how holy God is. Just how pure He is. Just how light He is. We underestimate that. So the idea that God could be with us is so astounding that something so holy, so inapproachable, so utterly different could be with us who are so broken, so distorted, so sinful. We should behold that. That's amazing. There's a third way I want to answer why it is such a big deal that God would be with us though. And it's third. We should be amazed by that. It's such a big deal because we should be amazed at the length to which God is willing to go to achieve the type of reconciliation between God and us by joining that word with in the middle. The lengths to which God would go so that we could have a saviour who is Emmanuel, God with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says this, For our sake, he's talking about God, for our sake, he made him, and that word him is referring to Jesus, for our sake, he made Jesus to be sin. Now don't, don't miss this. He made Jesus The better Adam, remember? The second Adam, the one who was miraculously conceived so he wouldn't be affected by the curse of sin, so that he wouldn't be under the curse of sin. He made him to be sin, even though he didn't know sin. There was no sin in Jesus' life. There was no curse of sin. There was no act of sin. There was no rebellion against the Father. But he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, in Jesus, we, sinful, broken us, we might become the righteousness of God. That's worth beholding. That's worth stopping and just saying, hang on, what is going on here? God who is so utterly holy utterly pure, utterly good in every way that we can't even begin to imagine. And us, so utterly broken and distorted by rebellion and sin, by the sins of other people against us and by our own sin against others. Those two realities, God and us, God took the, took the initiative because we didn't have the resources to do anything about it. And God stepped in and supplied the with. He supplied the one that would bring God and us together again, just like it was in the garden, just like it will be for an eternity, and join together with in Christ. How did he do it? It took his own son, the one who knew no sin, to actually become sin for us. Our sin placed on His shoulders, born on His hands, 
the wages that we deserve to carry, the wages of sin, he absorbed, he took. And everything that makes Jesus amazing, his righteousness, his goodness, his holiness, his perfection, he says, this is the great exchange. I'll take your sin and in return, I'll give you my righteousness. How's that for a deal? Good? You bet it is. Brilliant, right? Behold, I get, Jesus says, all your sin. You get all my righteousness. Good deal if you're, if you're a sinner. We underestimate just how sinful we are. We underestimate just how holy God is. And we underestimate just how far God is willing to go to redeem back his creation. And we see that in Christ. So this is how I want to finish. We finish with a personalised invitation for you to behold. Matthew chapter 1, verse, what was it, 23? Behold, the virgin shall conceive. We have a better Adam. We have one who has come and intercepted human history in such a way that it broke something forever. A better Adam. A second Adam. Jesus. Whose name is what? Emmanuel. God with us. So your personal invitation to behold this morning starts with this. Let's stop underestimating who we really are. Let's stop underestimating who God really is. And let's stop underestimating just what God is willing to do to rescue and redeem sinners like us. How should we respond? Behold. If that means getting on your knees this morning, beholding, that begins with a recognition of our rebellion. That's called repentance. God, I am a bigger sinner than I realize. I'm a bigger sinner than I've ever admitted. And God, you're more holy and good than I ever imagined. That's repentance. But faith paired with repentance is beautiful. Faith adds to that moment of recognition of who we really are and who God really is. Faith says... But I believe that you have done everything it takes so that I might be with you. If that's something you've never done this morning, I'm going to invite you to your own personalised moment of beholding where you simply acknowledge before God who you are, who He is and who Jesus really is. Maybe this morning you're here and you've done that. And this has been just a good reminder for you. Then my invitation to you this morning to behold is an invitation to worship. You know, we have nothing more to add to the equation. We are simply recipients of everything that God has done. And our gratitude, we can't repay God. We, we can't say, I'm going to give the rest of my life to repaying you. There's no, you don't have the resources. I don't have the resources either. There's nothing I can do to repay God. He doesn't expect you to. 
He's not asking you to pay off the debt. The debt's been paid. What he wants from you is a life of gratitude, a life of relationship, a life which says, I'm looking forward to every day, that moment where I get to walk with God in the garden. And I'm going to live my life like I'm walking in the garden with God. That's a life of worship, a life of response, of gratitude to say, I have a relationship with God that I shouldn't naturally have. So we bow and we worship. Repent and believe. Bow and worship. That's two ways this week that you can behold. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you have done everything it takes. You, a holy, righteous, good, pure God. You have done everything it takes so that we might know Jesus as our Emmanuel. God with us. Well, there may be someone here this morning who's feeling the weight of their sin, their rebellion against you. Lord, help no one in this room, all of us, never underestimate the seriousness of our own sin. But Lord, help us to lift our eyes and see Jesus, the better Adam, the one even though sin abounds, his grace abounds even more. That you have done everything that it takes so that you might be God with us, just the way as it was always meant to have been. We love you, Lord. Help us to repent and believe, to bow and worship, because you deserve it. Amen. If you want to talk about anything that I've said further this morning, if you'd like someone to walk you through some of that a little bit more, please come and find me or anyone in this church that you know that you trust to be able to just help you on that journey. Don't leave today without a sense of saying, I want to know what it means to live my life in light of God with us, Emmanuel. A life of beholding, of wonder and of worship. Don't let today pass by. Come and have a chat, cup of tea, conversation, prayer, tears, whatever. Let's just live this life of beholding together.